0: Welcome to the official podcast for the Society of Urodynamics, Female Pelvic Medicine, and Urogenital Reconstruction. Here, you will find podcasts highlighting clinically relevant topics, ongoing SUFU initiatives, SUFU member highlights, and much, much more.
1: Thank you, everyone, for sticking with us to the very end of our meeting. And again, thank you very much, uh, David, for organizing such a great program. I think everyone has been so happy to be here. So, I am going to talk today about the Neurogenic Lower Urinary Tract Dysfunction Risk Stratification. Um, And this talk today only has one reference, that's the new AUA SUFU Guideline, Um, and here are my disclosures. And you can see I'm one of the authors on this guideline, but I'm not representing the AUA Guidelines, these views are my own. So when we talk about risk in neurogenic lower urinary tract dysfunction patients, we're really concerned about upper tract deterioration in these people. So it's very important that we're able to risk stratify them so we can know how to follow them up. And this guideline is very long and very comprehensive, so I'm only going to focus on risk stratification. Because if you're a urologist who looks after this patient population frequently, you're gonna cover stratification and care, but if you're only looking after them intermittently, this is the information you really, really need to know. You need to know to identify your high risk and your lowest patients more accurately. So, because this is the last talk today, I'm gonna to ask everyone to get their phone out because in a second we're gonna to convert to a fully interactive talk, okay? So, when you are stratifying your patient who has neurogenic lower urinary tract dysfunction, you're going to stratify them into low, moderate, or high risk. And the reason that's important is because the surveillance is different. So there are three different surveillance patterns, and I'm going to go over that in detail in a second. People aren't static, however. So a person may be a certain risk strata today, but six months from now they might change. So these strata are not where you land forever, but you have to remember that they can switch as well. And low-risk surveillance, so for those people that are in that category, you are only doing expectant follow-up. For people who are moderate-risk or high-risk, they are very similar in that they have an annual visit for a history and an assessment. They have an annual renal function with a creatinine. Your moderate-risk patients can have a renal ultrasound every one to two years, depending on the clinical scenario, and your high-risk have it every year. And your dynamics for your moderate risk patients are done if they change clinical pictures. And your dynamics in the high risk patients are done when indicated. And again, we'll go over that in a little bit of detail. So take out your phone and you're going to go to the website called menti.com, M E N T I.com, and you're going to enter that numerical code at the top of the screen. And for all the people here, um, who are not here, who are online, this also work for you, so I'm really trying to incorporate all of our friends who are chiming in virtually. So the question is, this is the last session of the meeting. Thank you for sticking around. What are your plans for today? So this is a warm-up question so everyone can get their phone out. Are you going to have lunch? A big lunch? Are you going to go sightseeing in San Diego? Travel home or have fun at home because you're already there? So I'll give everyone uh, 30 seconds or so to get online and answer the question for me. All right. And if you didn't get your phone out, you're really going to miss out on the rest of this lecture. So I recommend if you have opted out of that plan, the rest of this lecture is going to be less fun because you're not going to participate. So to make this more interesting, instead of me teaching you about the risk stratification, I'm going to have you do it yourself. So we'll go over some cases, and we'll risk stratify these people. 28-year-old guy, he sustained a spinal cord injury nine months ago in a motor vehicle collision. He's a T7 spinal cord injury, and he sustained a liver laceration at the time. He's out of spinal shock now. He had a Foley in the hospital, transitioned to clean intermittent catheterization, and he's leaking in between catheterizations, so his PM&R physicians started him on oxybutin in 10 milligrams, but he's still leaking. He did have UTIs when he was in the hospital, but not recently. He casts four times a day, and his physical exam is what you would expect for his description, and his creatinine is 0.5. So for this specific scenario, what is this man's AUA-NGLUTD risk strata? Low, moderate, high, or I don't know. Oh, we got a few more people participating this time, thank you. You voted five times, yeah, great. (laughs) All right, so the answer is I don't know. I really don't know what this man's risk strata is at this time. So your initial evaluation involves a history, a physical examination, a PDR if they're voiding, and you can do diaries, you can do pad tests or uroflows in specific instances. You do not need a cystoscopy unless there's a specific indication to do so. But at the initial assessment, you can only stratify people into low risk or unknown risk with that information. And it's really based on the disease process. So the easy way to think of this, is this a disease that could potentially be higher risk, yes or no? Your low-risk diseases are more your supertentorial lesions, and unknown risk are the more classic neurogenic bladder patients like spinal cord injury. So I don't know is the answer to this guy's risk strata at this minute. So what testing do we need to figure this out? So this is a free text answer. So if everyone can type in what they would like to do, and you can have multiple answers. What testing does this man need for you to properly risk stratify him? None of these are trick questions. We have urodynamics, urodynamics is getting really big. Urodynamics, urodynamics. A renal sonogram, a PVR, renal function, UA. All right, so we see uh, variations of the word urodynamics, um, renal ultrasound, and I see cystoscopy and uh, PVR. Um, Just to recall, um, this guy, we do know his creatinine, and it's 0.5, and we did a UA when we met him. But great answers. Thank you. So he needed a renal ultrasound, and he needed urodynamic studies. And on ultrasound, he had a three millimeter non-obstructing stone, otherwise normal looking renal units. And his urodynamics that you performed show a 350 milliliter bladder um, for capacity. He had DO at the end of filling. He didn't leak, he didn't have DSD, and his compliance was quite good. So what is his risk strata now? People are already answering. You're already getting into this. This is great. What's that? Mm-hmm. All right, so most people think he is moderate, and I'm so proud of you all. <laughs> so this table is also contained within the guideline, and I find it really helpful and well-organized because you can go through each of the categories and simply circle where the person lands. His renal function is normal. His PBR is elevated because he's in retention. On his urinary tract imaging, a tiny stone is, is a normal finding. That's, we're talking about scary kidney things that put someone in the high-risk group. In neurodynamics, he has neurogenic retention, and he has DO with incomplete emptying. And when you're risk stratifying someone, if they have any category in the highest, they end up being high, but you take the worst risk strata. So this guy is moderate, even though he has some low-risk features, so he's moderate risk. So the surveillance for this specific guy would again be an annual assessment, renal function assessment annually, and upper tract imaging every one to two years. So this guy's newly injured, he already has a small kidney stone, I would probably choose, because there's flexibility in the guideline, to ultrasound him every year, at least until I determine how much calcium he's going to resorb from his bones, from his spinal cord injury. But if he had no stones and he was later in his injury, I probably would go every two years. But in this guy, I'm going to go every year for now, even though he's moderate, and that's because his kidneys are a little bit concerning to me, but I'm not highly concerned, only moderately concerned. All right, so this is the flow chart of how to initially assess people and stratify them. This is a lot of words. So here it is in colors, which is a really simple way of looking at it. So you do a history, physical, and PVR. They're low risk or unknown. And then when you do more testing, you do the ultrasound, renal function assessment, and the urodynamics, then you can stratify them as low, moderate, and high, and follow them up appropriately. Easy peasy. So let's do another case, because this is fun. Uh, we have a 74-year-old man who has Parkinson's, he's, he is BPH, he's been on Tamsulosin for 10 years. He had a UTI last year, but is, they're not a recurrent problem for him. He presents with a several-year history worsening of urgency, nocturia, and urgency incontinence. You do a PVR and it's 50, his creatinine 0.9 because someone else checked that, and his urinalysis is clean. So what is his risk strata? All right, so most people are thinking that his risk strata is low. And I would agree with those people. So low-risk patients are those who have a disease process consistent with low risk of upper tract deterioration. Great examples are strokes, Parkinson's, brain tumors, traumatic brain injuries, or lesions distal to the spinal cord, such as disc disease. And those patients have to be spontaneously voiding, with a reasonably low PVR, there's no exact number, but I think everyone would agree that an elderly gentleman with a 50cc residual is a normal residual and their renal function has to be normal. We don't have urodynamic data, we don't have renal ultrasound data, and we don't need that for these patients to risk stratify them because they fall in the low risk category for all the other criteria. Now if your spidey senses are tingling, if there's something not right with this story, You can certainly decide to do urodynamics because you don't feel like you have the complete picture. But there's nothing about this guy that I've presented here that's concerning. He's had one UTI, and his symptoms are pretty consistent with what you'd expect for his disease. So, um, uh, So he is low risk. So what is his surveillance plan? It's actually not indicated. He doesn't need a routine scheduled surveillance to monitor his upper tract because he's at low risk. So you could see him every year. He probably deserves some medication and some timed voiding and behavior management to help him out. You could see him on a regular basis. You could have one of your APPs see him, or you could discharge him to his primary care physician. All those are acceptable answers because he is low risk. Now, if something changes, if he comes to your office with 10 UTIs in a year, maybe you need to rethink that. But for right now, he's low risk. So, last case, 20-year-old woman with myelomeningocele. So she is transitioning from pediatric, so she comes with a stack of records in her hands. She's doing CIC six times a day, leaking between cats. She's on oxybutynin, and she's had eight UTIs in the past year, one of those she was admitted with sepsis. She, she has a renal ultrasound that was done before your visit, and she has stable renal scars, so they've been present because she had a good pediatric urologist who was monitoring her every year. And she also comes with the urodynamic tracing from her most recent visit, where she has a 300cc capacity with a compliance loss with her detrusor pressure getting up to 45 on 300ccs. And to quote someone I know very well, bad bladder, bad bladder. So, what's her risk strata? Now we're all getting really good at this. Oh, and the audience scores a hundred percent on this question. Yay! So again if you look at the table, I keep this table readily available because it's so easy to use you just circle the answer for each column and even though she only has one high risk feature that makes her high risk so she is high risk. So surveillance for her would be again follow-up renal function assessment and dynamics repeated when clinically indicated. So for this woman uh, she proceeded to botulinum toxin, daily oral prophylaxis, and she comes back for a repeat urodynamic study because it's indicated to repeat her urodynamic study after you treat her because she's high risk. And she's high risk because of her urodynamics. so you'd repeat those. And she's now not leaking, not having UTIs, and her capacity is greatly improved and her pressures are greatly improved. So what's her risk strata now? So she was high risk and now we've treated her all right I love you guys this is great all right so now she is she is moderate risk all right well thank you very much everyone Um, this is a little bit different um, for Sufu this was a totally non PowerPoint presentation but I think these are fun and a better way to learn because you're a little bit more involved so what do you think if you guys like more of this we can try to encourage people to be more interactive because I think our brains work a little bit better when we're learning in this fashion. I am happy to um, uh, have anybody email me any questions. And this risk stratification, just keep it simple and it will work really well. Thank you very much. I'm happy to take any questions. Thank you. I think it's going to be really helpful for all the trainees. Um, For renal function test, is a BMP sufficient or do you get 24-hour creatinine clearance for these patients? Um, a serum creatinine is sufficient. Um, I mean, you can get into the weeds of the, um, of the guideline. So if someone has significant changes on ultrasound, you could always get a renal scan. Um, you could also do a 24-hour urine. But if someone has a normal appearance of their kidneys and a normal creatinine, you can feel pretty comfortable that that's normal and that's sufficient. Thank you.
0: In the last case you put out that you're going to give a daily antibiotic prophylaxis, What exactly are you targeting
1: there and how long do you keep the prophylaxis up? Um, Normally when I do daily oral prophylaxis, I do it daily for three months and then reassess. Um, And I tend to use trimethoprim. Was that your question?
0: well, I sort of wondering because not a lot of the antibiotic uh, data these days is suggesting that we should not do that. I'm thinking like the similar trial because the only thing it's going to promote is when they get a UTI that you're dealing with um, more resistant bacteria
1: no that's a good point um, the guideline not in this section did address daily oral prophylaxis and the guideline does recommend daily oral prophylaxis for patients who are catheterizing not indwelling catheter patients but you are correct it's a shared decision-making process where there is a risk of increased resistance that is true that does exist but uh, this young woman was in trouble at this time so uh, we went maximally um,
0: uh, treatment wise I mean, John, it's an interesting point, and I think we're all challenged by our patients on CIC that perform intermittent catheterization, you know, and that we actually, you know, the the guideline, we had a grand total of 60 guideline statements, and all of them didn't have a lot of evidence. The one regarding intermittent catheterization actually had some evidence from the ANTIC trial. I don't know if you all saw this, but Blaine Welk, who was on the last panel, was able to get the data from the ANTIC trial and, and break down the outcomes looking just at the neurogenic patients. Um, and they continue to show an improvement with low-dose antibiotics. You know, the question is, and how long do we keep it on? And, and the other question would be, I think, with this patient would be, once her compliance is improved, is, there, is her bladder not as bad a bladder? And then does she do better with UTIs? And those are all things that we have to figure out because we don't know the answer to that. And, and I think based on that, Anne, I'm, I'm gonna close the meeting from here. Um, oh my, I, I didn't forget the charge, I don't even know what time it is, but we're a little bit over. Thank you, everyone, for staying to the end. And I love the Mentimeter, whatever you call that, that program, Mentimeter.
1: Mentimeter. Right?
0: That was awesome. So the meeting is over. Thank you all for staying to the end. Thank you for participating in questions. And look forward to seeing everyone either at the AUA in New Orleans or in Nashville next year. Have safe travels home. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode on the SuFu podcast. Be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast streaming app. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and SoundCloud. Follow us on Twitter with our handle at SuFuOrg, where we'll provide real-time updates of our next podcast episode launch. And be sure to check us out on our website, www.sufuorg.com.